When I was about eight or nine years old, my mother bought me a book titled Bible Stories Every Child Should Know. This is a long time ago, during what we called the Depression. Now it's called the Great Depression, to distinguish it from whatever it is we're having now. (laughs) The book was purchased from a man who came to the door selling things. I have no idea what else he had. Such entrepreneurs were common at that time. Often people came to our door, mostly men, with various items and services to sell. I remember one summer, it's probably 1937 or maybe 38, when my mother prepared a plate of food for a man who came seeking work. In exchange, he mowed our back lawn. Later the same day when another man appeared seeking a chore in exchange for food, my mother had him mow the same lawn and gave him a plate of food. I realized years later that she didn't want to embarrass him by making him feel as if he were begging. The bookseller was one of many such, but this day my mother unexpectedly bought me a book. It was a new book, hardcover with colored pictures, and I have no idea what it cost, but if it was more than about 40 cents, I can't imagine that my mother would have thought she could have afforded it. My parents were not religious. We celebrated Christmas and Easter, but mostly in a secular context, although I was usually sent to Sunday school on those occasions. So I'm not sure why this book was purchased. Perhaps my mother felt that it would pretty much meet her obligations to me in my religious training. (laughs) I loved to read, and owning a new book was a great luxury. I owned only a few. We usually went to the library. I read Bible stories every child should know many times during the next few years. And the very first story in the book was the story we heard from Exodus this morning, the finding of Moses by the daughter of the Pharaoh. I realized as I reread this story in the original that my memory of this tale, and perhaps yours too, is somewhat different than the scriptural content. In my childhood book, there was, of course, no mention of a birthing stool or of midwives or of needing a wet nurse. Heaven forbid that every child should know about those things. I don't remember either learning that the Pharaoh wanted to put the boy babies of the Hebrews to death. Also, I find surprisingly that there is no mention in the biblical text that the Pharaoh's daughter made an actual decision to keep the baby when she finds him in a basket floating in the reeds. I think in the King James they're called the bulrushes, but reeds they're called in in the newer translations. In today's lesson, she just says this must be one of the Hebrews' children. It's the baby's sister who watches from the bank to see what happens to her baby brother. I wondered if this was Miriam, who later goes with Moses and Aaron when they cross the Red Sea, lead the people out of Egypt, but she's not named here. It's this sister of the baby who rushes out to say to the Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women? That the Pharaoh's daughter says yes is not necessarily the answer we might expect, given the situation. In fact, there are many unanswered questions in this story. 
You've heard in recent Sunday readings about the continuation of the early ruling families of the chosen people, how Joseph is sold into slavery by his own brothers, how he forgives them and saves them, and his family and other Hebrews come to Egypt to be cared for by this powerful Jew, Joseph. As the unlikely and frequently dysfunctional line continues, we hear now that the Hebrews thrive in Egypt and multiply, which is, of course, what God told them to do. And even a declaration to destroy the newborn boys can't be enforced. So here is the Pharaoh's own daughter saving the child that her father had ordered killed. The unlikely, accidental, and reluctant heroes and heroines continue to populate the course of Old Testament history. But why is this story one that every child should know? I'm suggesting that it is seminal to several threads that shape the movement of biblical history. This is the unplanned saving of the person who will be a great leader of the Jews, who will lead them out of slavery through the Red Sea, who will encounter God, who will provide the people with the commandments and laws by which they are to shape their new life in a new land. The story describes the slavery of the Jews and how their vitality and cleverness thwart the masters that try to destroy them. The story offers another example of how chance and compassion can overcome power and official statutes. It's only because of the leadership of Moses, casually saved by coincidence and sympathy, that the story of the Hebrews as a significant group can come to fulfillment. Because of this moment of impulse and affection, the Jews continue and prosper. These Jews are freed from slavery by Moses so that, as the line of history and narrative unfolds, the Messiah can appear. And we hear of that moment of revelation in today's gospel when Peter acknowledges that Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus validates that insight. The finding of the infant Moses also gives us at least three examples of how women, the carefully named midwives, the Pharaoh's daughter, Moses' sister, can, within the small sphere of their acceptable activities, countermand the law and aid the inevitable movement toward freedom and salvation. It's a remarkable literary achievement, among other things. When we think of the Holy Scripture as a whole, we're often frustrated, maybe even confused, about just what the line of events can be leading to. The book contains so many diverse plots and characters, and these often countermand and contradict each other. Many of us eventually may feel that we should just forget all that occurs before the Gospel of Matthew and focus on the Christian scriptures. I've sometimes felt that way myself. But in rereading this tale from the beginning of the book of Exodus, I can't help thinking of the line that begins here and leads to the Christ. Even though in recent weeks we've been tracing in the Hebrew scriptures stories of conflict and dishonesty, betrayal, suspicion, the plot line is pointing to a moment that is not a time of indulgence and greed or fear and slavery, but the coming of the anointed one. The saving of the infant Jesus begins the trail that leads to the infant Jesus. And as the infant Jesus was supposed to be killed by Herod's soldiers, along with all the other male infants in Palestine, so too is Moses, a baby that escapes the Pharaoh's parallel edict. There are, these are, in a way, matching stories. 
It's no wonder that the book my mother bought me on that long-ago summer day begins with the story of the saving of the baby Moses by the daughter of the Pharaoh. That impulsive and perhaps instinctive action places Moses within the ruling structure of Egypt, allows him to mature with dignity and an understanding of the uses of power. He lives within the Pharaoh's household. This is a simple yet significant story. It changes the course of Jewish history. Indeed, it may be said to create Jewish history. Just as generations later, the life and leadership of Jesus changes the world. <coughs> Don't forget this story. Every child should know it. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Amen.